Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And then eventually I was writing pretty much full time and I quit my full time job. And, uh, but that was still a super scary step. Right. It was a really scary step to take. And yeah, I think, but it was, you know, getting back to the part of your original question about that awakening and, and kind of what was going through my mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, I, I watched my parents work really hard at jobs that maybe they didn't love to save and save for their retirement. I mean, my dad was a blue collar worker. He was in heating and air conditioning and worked really hard, long hours. And same with my mom who was in human resources. So I saw them work a lot of long hours and put a lot of time into their careers, but not really be able to take trips or travel or do a lot of things they love because they were really loyal and dedicated to their careers. And when I saw them then before they were able to even get to retirement, go through these health challenges, it was, it was really, it was really heartbreaking and really caused me to reassess my values and my life priorities as far as what my goals were. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast fascinating stories to amaze encourage and inspire you in fishing fitness and the outdoors and we're brought to you by black rifle coffee i started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends people that i admire and respect and you it has been a learning journey that's made me a better person a better fisherman a better father and a better athlete i'm so happy that you're on this journey with me and i'd love to hear from you with show suggestions guest suggestions or questions the best way to get a hold of me is through text you can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response but if you prefer to email you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com that's a dedicated email address just for the show if you like this show you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is tomrollandpodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on tomrollandpodcast.com, and the social media is tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or 
you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. I'm Debbie Hansen, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. All right. Well, I'm excited for our conversation now that we got all of the uh, kinks somewhat worked out, I guess. Yeah. Well, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's the perfect day to talk fishing because it's rainy and cloudy and just perfect day to be indoors, either tying flies or organizing tackle or talking fishing. Right. How, how many days do you spend? Is it easier to pick the days or count the days that you spend inside or outside in a year? Um, it's probably easier to count the days that I spend inside than the days I spend outside. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I thought, but you got a lot going on. I checked out your website. You've got, you've, you're, you're writing, you've got the blog, you've got the radio show, you've got your guiding. What all, how, how do you spend your year? What all occupies your time? Oh my goodness. Well, just, just trying to keep the balance and, and, you know, just, like you, when you're involved in diversifying yourself in so many different areas in the industry, it, it can be a challenge finding the balance some days. But, um, you know, the biggest chunk of my time right now is spent guiding. And then the radio show on ESPN here in Southwest Florida is every Saturday morning. And then I also do some knot tying and fly tying clinics at Bass Pro the first Saturday of every month. So some education and then, yeah, I blog once a week for take me fishing and do a few freelance writing article assignments in between and yeah. And then get out there and do some scouting and do some homework so that I'm prepped for my trip. So that's pretty much the breakdown. Nice. How'd you get into all this? Oh my goodness. Into fishing or just into yeah, the fishing? Well, into, into fishing the- first, and then uh, obviously that leads you into a career of fishing. But how does it how does it start? It started with my grandfather when I was five. So my grandparents had a lake house in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and since both my parents worked full time when I was young. Every summer I would go up to my grandparents' lake house and I would fish with my grandfather up there and I would just spend pretty much the entire summer with him. And that's, that was just, you know, those summers were something that I looked forward to always. And that it's really my time that I spent on the water with him that solidified my love for fishing and for the sport and for continuing education. I just remember fishing with him and being out there on that lake and his knowledge of the fact that, you know, the largemouth bass were going to be on the North end of the lake around the lily pads and the walleye were going to be 
closer to the center of the lake and the weed beds. And it was just fascinating. I mean, I remember laying stomach down on the pier, hanging my head down over the side, looking in the water and just being fascinated with the crayfish and all the minnows and all of the life that was in that water. And just him teaching me so much about what he knew as far as fishing and which lures to use under which conditions. And I remember he had me digging up earthworms when I was five and my mom loves to tell the story about how when I went to preschool and one of the teachers brought in a jar of worms one day, just, I guess we were talking about gardening and the benefits of the earth and the environment and how I came home so excited about the fact that there were a jar of worms at preschool because <laughs> I had been digging up worms as bait with my grandfather. So yeah, I mean, those memories with him are just some of the most cherished memories I have from growing up and really solidified my love of the outdoors and kind of took me through to where I am today. I mean, obviously I took a little bit of a, of a, a sidetrack and I, I was in the advertising industry after I graduated from college and, and then, um, you know, both my parents unfortunately received a cancer diagnosis pretty in pretty close um, time proximity to each other. And it really kind of caused me to have an awakening about my career and what I was doing with my life and took me down to the path that I'm on today. What was that decision like? Like you, you have this awakening and you're, you know, you have... Uh sometimes you have these events in your life that make you realize, you know, what's, what's really important or, or what's really important to you. And I'm imagining that's probably what happened with your, with your parents diagnosis there. And you kind of have this, have this moment in your life where you're like, you know what, I don't really like what I'm doing. And life seems kind of short right now. Like, is that, what, what was that decision like to quit that job? And what did you think you were going to do when you quit the job? Did you, have aspirations of guiding or what was it? What did you think you were going to do? I didn't have aspirations of guiding at the time. And it was really, it was really scary and really intimidating. I mean, I knew I loved fishing and, um, I, you know, I graduated with a degree in English and journalism and, and ended up working at an advertising industry and I got a, or in the advertising profession. And I got a job as an account executive, but I always, always wanted to be involved in writing. And I really enjoyed that. So I was seeing at the time, you know, it was when the internet was just, you know, kind of dating myself here a little bit, but the internet was just becoming a big thing. And I was following some people who were starting to blog and they were blogging about things they were passionate about. So I saw that people were able to generate revenue through online ads. And I eventually went on to sell online advertising, um, and so I realized, hey, there might be a way for me to share my love, passion, and knowledge of fishing in the online space. So I was still working full time and I started a fishing blog. And from there, one of the um one of the members of the market on the marketing team at takemefishing.org, which is the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation, she saw my blog and asked if I would be interested in doing a weekly blog post on their website because they were looking for female voices for their blog. And, um, so while I was still working full time, I started the blog and I started blogging for takemefishing.org. 
And so that kind of gave me a little bit of an entry point, I guess, into the industry and kind of gave me sort of a safety net, if you will. Um, it made me really realize that, hey, you know, I might be able to actually do this and turn it into a profession at some point. And so once I started writing for them and doing it on a regular basis and had a contract, then other opportunities came through as a result of that. And then eventually I was writing pretty much full time and I quit my full time job. <laughs> and uh, but that was still a super scary step. Right. It was a really scary step to take. And yeah, I think, but it was, you know, getting back to the part of your original question about that awakening and, and kind of what was going through my mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, I, I watched my parents work really hard at jobs that maybe they didn't love to save and save for the retirement. I mean, my dad was a blue collar worker. He was in heating and air conditioning and worked really hard, long hours. And same with my mom who was in human resources. So I saw them work a lot of long hours and put a lot of time into their careers, but not really be able to take trips or travel or do a lot of things they love because they were really loyal and dedicated to their careers. And when I saw them then before they were able to even get to retirement, go through these health challenges, it was, it was really, it was really heartbreaking and really caused me to reassess my values and my life priorities as far as what my goals were for the future. Um, and I wanted to, of course, have the flexibility to be there for them if they needed me, or, you know, if I needed to fly up to Chicago, just not to have to, not to have to worry about getting that cleared through an employer, but being able to say, you know, Hey, I can write, or I can, you know, do a not tying video from wherever I am and still work regardless of the situation and have more of that balance and be able to spend time with them. That's super cool. Like so many people that listen to this podcast and I love stories like that because I love, I love the, the, the moment where you you've started this side hustle, whatever it is, and you're you're kind of doing something like in this situation, you're you're writing and you're kind of following your passion. And at some point, you know, there's a little bit of money that gets to that, that's being made, and then it's a little bit more, and then a couple more opportunities, and then there's this balance of kind of your full time job. There there's this place where you feel comfortable taking this leap, like. what would happen if I did it full time? Like, what could I make it? Like, I love that because that is, that is such, I mean, so many people go through that and they usually more times than not, when they make the leap, it's good for them. Right. Like, like you, you made it right. But there, what was that? It was really scary. I'm sure that it was. It's always scary. But what, what was that like for you? Like, like how, how much, how many opportunities did you need to have and how close did that balance have to be from your real job and what you're bringing in from your real job? And then this, this writing, you know, following your passion and writing about fishing and doing things like that. How close did that have to match up before you felt comfortable like jumping? It didn't, it was, it was, I took about a a 50% pay cut initially but in my heart, I knew it was the right thing to do. And, 
I knew that if I worked hard enough and I asked the right people for advice and sought mentors in the industry and really put my heart and soul in it, I felt as if there was a way to be successful at it. And it was, it was, it, it was really nerve wracking taking that leap, but it was one of the best things I ever did because I think, you know, here I was working in the online advertising industry at that point. I started in print, ended up in the online space and I was making really good money. I was making, you know, six figures and doing a lot of things that I always wanted to do. I was traveling a lot. Um, you know, I was able to buy a nice car and, you know, buy a lot of nice clothes. And then when I made the decision that I was going to start my own business and start writing and take that leap, it really came down to like the core essence of, of who I was and what was really important because all of a sudden you realize like who's really in your life and what's really in your life that's important. You know, a lot of times I think when we're in our thirties and even in our twenties, it's kind of like, okay, well, this is fun. I want to go out. I want to socialize. I want to meet people. And then you get to a point in your career where it's like, okay, no nose to the grindstone. I got to really, really push through and put in the effort in order to make this work. And, um, when you start your own business and you take a pay cut like that, and you're putting in a lot of time, but not necessarily seeing a lot of return initially, it can be kind of disheartening to see who still stands behind you or beside you and who falls away. And that was a huge reality check. And it was hard in a lot of ways. Um, you know, cause a lot of people who are there for the good times, when it comes down to the point where you've got to say, Hey, listen, I, I can't go out to dinner or I can't go out for that cocktail or I can't because I've got to save and I'm focused on, making this business successful. And I need to really hustle to, you know, write that blog post or write this article and interview these people and put the time in. Um, it, it becomes really eye opening, and it, and it can be hard. It can be really challenging, but when you get through that point and you see that you've got the right people behind you and in your circle, it means so much and it's so rewarding beyond anything I can even describe. I mean, I've been so lucky and grateful to have some amazing mentors in our industry and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful and I couldn't be happier doing what I'm doing. And I know that I've made the right choice and, and I feel like my grandfather's, you know, with me well, every day. Yeah, I was going to ask, I was going to ask about that. Do you think that he would have ever had any, any idea, any expectation? Do you think he would be surprised today if he knew what you were doing? He, you know, he, he, we just lost him actually, um, about four years ago. So he got to see kind of, oh. you know, he got to see the progression and there were many days I got to FaceTime with him and, you know, share with him some of the exciting things that were going on. So that, that was huge that I could actually share some of those experiences with him and that he did get to see some of that. I mean, he lived to be 96, which is wow. pretty amazing. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Good genes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what was it like? Like what, what was his reaction when you first told him, like, I think I'm going to do this. Like what did, did, did you maintain contact throughout the, the decision yeah. process? Was he a part of that decision process? He, he definitely was. And, and he, um, my grandpa was pretty stoic. He, he, you know, he had lived through, you know, had been in the, um, army air corps before it was the air force and, and just was a very, I mean, he was just a, a very strong survival, you know, do what you got to do type of guy. So he wasn't, into the warm fuzzies as much, but he, he was just one of those guys who, I mean, he said, he's like, you know, you can do what you put your mind to. And that's what I loved about our time on the water. You know, when we were kids, I have an older brother who's five years older than me. And my grandfather would take both my brother and I fishing. And it was never a question of, you know, Oh, well, should Debbie be outdoors fishing with me? Or should she be indoors, you know, playing dolls or cooking with her grandmother or whatever. No, I mean, he just took me out there and immersed me in it and just always taught me, like, if this is something that you want to do, if you want to get out there and fish, then we've got to go find bait and you're going to have to dig up these worms. You know, he wasn't trying to ever shelter me from, or do things for me. He wanted to make sure that he empowered me with the tools and the resources that I need. So I think in a lot of ways, I'm grateful that I can give back to other people what he's given to me. It's interesting. I noticed part of your message is that you want to empower women in the outdoors. And I think that's, that's awesome. We need more, more women in the outdoors, but where do you think, like when you see how your grandfather um, raised you and immersed you in the outdoors and, and it was equal that he didn't care if you were a girl or a boy or whatever you, it was about fishing and it was about spending time together how do you see today's parents, the, the state of kids with, with social media, with games, with, I don't know, are, are, are we doing a good job of getting um, young, young kids, girls and boys, particularly girls for this, for this purpose of this um, conversation? Where do you think that we stand right now like that in getting kids into the outdoors and primarily girls? Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. 
Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I think there's a lot of things we can improve on. I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. And I think that one of the silver linings of the pandemic has been to see many more families getting out on the water together. So I think there's been some improvement. And I think that one of the great things is that people have come together to realize how important the outdoors really is and how good it is for our mental health and how just, you know, being out there, we can learn so much about our environment, about the ecosystems and, um, and just bond together as a family. I mean, you know what it's like when you're out there and, you know, you, you see someone in your family catch just a trophy fish or their first catch of a certain species that they get so excited about. I mean, that experience just almost like bonds you together for, you know, for, for life. I mean, you have those experiences out there and you're always going to remember those things, but I think that it's still hard. I mean, I, I see this past year too, I've seen so many parents who have struggled with trying to, you know, manage kids in their schoolwork from home, because a lot of them have been, you know, learning from home, doing distance learning versus actually being in the classroom. And, you know, they're trying to carve out even some time for themselves so that they can decompress and relax too. So I think it's, it's been challenging all the way around. Um, I think we're doing a better job of it, but I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. I think that, um, you know, encouraging kids to get out there and really spending time together as a family should always be at the core because, it's easy to kind of, you know, say, Hey, why don't you go, you know, play a game on your phone or on your iPad, or why don't you go watch a TV show? But especially here in Florida, where we've got amazing weather and amazing opportunities to explore everything that our state has to offer from freshwater fishing to saltwater fishing from hiking. Um, you know, there's, there's really, no excuse. We just got to make the time and and do a good job of creating that balance in our life. Yeah. When you think about like bringing kids into the, in, into fishing, particularly like, I don't know, things have changed, I guess. I mean, my parents just, I, I grabbed a fishing rod and walked out the door and I was down at the river all day long and they, they, they thought, oh, that's great. He's down at the river all day long. Well, it was a Tennessee river. I could have fallen in the river and gotten washed down the river. <laughs> I mean, but they, they, were, they were perfectly fine with that. Uh, I don't know that parents today are perfectly fine with that, of just letting their kid go down to the pond. Maybe there's an alligator in the pond. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. There are lots of challenges with when, uh, you know, when people... When a, when a kid, like say a kid is exposed to fishing on YouTube or, or watches a TV show or whatever, they see somebody fishing and they say, I want to go fishing. And the parents don't fish. They've never been fishing. They don't know. They don't have any idea what to do. That That's a challenge. And it seems like there would be like 
programs and different things where you could get the kids involved easier. Um, what, yes. Do you have ideas on that? Like how, how do you, that seems like a, that seems like a challenge that together within the fishing industry, we should really be working on like some sort of a, a club type thing where, where people, parents could drop their kids off at, at the fishing club as easily as they could tell them to go play a game on their phone. But I mean, there's just so many parents that don't know how to fish and they're intimidated by it and they've never been, and they don't know which end of the fishing rod to hold and they could never tie a hook on. And when the kid comes up and tells them they want to go fishing, it's like, no, we're not going fishing. Like we, we can walk around the lake, but I don't know right. anything about fishing. Like, what do you think about uh, solutions to, to that problem? I think a big part of it is, is like you were saying, doing it together as a family. Cause you're right. If you don't empower the parents with the knowledge and get them on board, they're not going to be able to get the kids on board and excited about it. And whereas we were fortunate to have people in our family to mentor us and get us out there on the water and teach us what we know that has to come from I think in most cases it's coming, it's got to come from someone in the family. And, um, you know, I think there's, I've seen some fishing summer camps yeah. for the kids, but still in that case, a lot of times what it is, is the parents are dropping the kids off at the summer camp and the parents themselves, if they don't fish, they're still not learning it themselves. So the next time the kid wants to go fishing, he still doesn't have, he or she still doesn't have the tools to say, Hey, I'm going to go backyard, go in the backyard pond and, you know, catch a bluegill on my own. Mm -hmm. They still need that help. I've had with. some great podcasts with people that run those camps and there are, um, some great opportunities for kids these days. Um, and there's some really, really good ones to where they can actually learn, um, all kinds of things. <laughs> they'll, they'll learn, you know, about, you know, maybe they'll go down to Florida and fish and learn all about the fishing in Florida. But the part of the camp is, yes, let's make sure that you know how to tie these knots. Let's make sure that you know that you don't have to use a hook this big. You can find smaller hooks and you can catch bluegill. And you, all you got to do is go to the store and get this stuff. And they, they can, they're empowered now they can go fishing. Right. So, but, but there's still this, this issue with getting people involved that, don't have anyone in their family to, to that's, that's what I see is the biggest challenge. Like to get, to get kids in the outdoors. It's one thing to get a kid in the outdoors and their entire family fishes or has fished or is it's some part of their life. Like it's a, and then they either like it or they don't like that's, that's empowering the parents to like give them this positive experience. But there's tons of other kids right. that want to fish, but they don't have anyone to teach them and know where to turn. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. And I think a lot of them are able to these days go online and look at not tutorials and watch videos and teach themselves quite a bit, but still there's, there's the power of the support of community. Right. And when I mean, when I say community, I mean, it's the same thing for women who are looking to get out there on the water as it is for families and kids. You know, we are always going to feel more comfortable when we've got someone out there who's going through the same thing, who's learning along with us, who we can ask questions and not feel silly for asking certain questions or, 
um, you know, just to go out and start fishing together and learn along the way. So I think, I think that having resources, you know, some of the clinics at Bass Pro and just meeting other anglers who are kind of in the same steps on the fishing journey and coming together and having fishing events where people can, you know, and kids, families can get out together and just create those connections. Right. It's so important. It is. It's so important. It is. And it, it, you know, for, for my message is just like, if you got the, the, the information, you have the knowledge, you're a fisherman. It doesn't right. matter how good a fisherman you are. If you've ever caught a fish before and you know, kind of, kind of the program a little bit, pass it on, like take a kid, take, you know, not just your own kid, but maybe the kid down the street too. And, you know, the kid that, that, you know, has, has asked a question about fishing, you know, bring him along one time or her. And, and, you know, that goes a long way because that could be the introduction. That could be the only introduction to fishing for that family is that kid that you invite along and then they come home and they had such a great time. And the parents are like, Hey, I got to learn more about this because I've never seen my kid so happy in their whole life. So yes. I don't know, pass it on. That's, that's the deal. Um, tell me who, who you mentioned mentors a couple of times and being super grateful for them. Who are some people that have, have uh, helped you and had a big impact on your, on your development and your career? Oh my goodness. George Poveromo. Huh. Crazy Alberto knee. I know we've got a mutual friend in yeah. Crazy Alberto. And George. I, um, I love George. He's a he is a legend yeah. and and we had such a great podcast when I had him on here. He tells great stories and he's got plenty of them. But yeah, Alberto and and George. Most definitely a good friend of mine, Joe Mahler, who's a fly casting instructor here in Southwest Florida. He's been a great mentor to me. Um my obviously my grandfather, Dan Blanton, oh, another really? fly angler. Um, you know, he's been, he lives in California, but we've had several conversations on the phone and online and he's been very supportive. How do you get hooked um, up with Dan Blanton in, in California? So, well, my good friend, Joe Mahler, who was my fly casting instructor and who was one of my mentors here, he shared a couple of Dan Blanton's fly patterns uh -huh. with me. And, um, <laughs> Yeah. So his Whistler fly pattern is actually the pattern that I, I ended up catching a nine and a half pound largemouth bass really? on that fly pattern. And so of course I was elated and I wanted to know everything about the pattern and everything about Dan. And so my friend Joe made the introduction between Dan and myself. And since then, Dan and I have connected on Facebook and and, uh, yeah, so that's how that whole thing went down and happened. That's nice, man. He's got, he's, he's legendary, man. That guy, I used to follow all his writing and he's, uh, he's done some really great stuff. Dan Blanton. I hadn't heard his name in a while, but he has, he has definitely done a lot of great stuff. That's, that's super interesting. Usually, you know, if you reach out to, I don't know, pretty much anybody they're, they're open and accepting of it in the fishing world is, has been my, my experience. Very, very few people have ever, uh, been hard to, hard to talk to. And in fact, it's, it's, it's almost the other way around when you go, the bigger, the, the bigger, the name, the bigger, the, the, uh, personality, the more welcoming they are to everyone. Not, not just like, you know, 
because I mean, th- that's what they do. They go to sports shows. They talk to people the whole time. And, you yeah. know, somebody like a Lefty Cray or somebody, probably the biggest personality we've ever had in the sport, not only was he super welcoming to everyone that he ever uh, that he met, but he had a memory that was incredible. He would remember your name. You hadn't seen him in two, three years, and he would remember your name. It was, it was bizarre. But uh, that's super cool. Alberto is uh is quite a character and oh, uh, <laughs> he, he he is he is and i mean I, i've learned so much from him and just his passion and enthusiasm for the sport is it's really it's hard to i mean it's hard to match how yeah. many people do you know that get that ex- i mean he just lights up when he talks about fishing you know as most of us do but it takes a certain type of person to fish those non-human hours like he does and to really i mean he thinks nothing of driving you know five four four or five six hours to get on a hot bite it's just what he does yeah well one of the things that i'm dying to do with him and and i've talked about a lot is i want to catch one of these clown knife fish and i know that he and you oh, yeah. did that. Um, yeah. Something happened here with my TV. Um, tell me about tell me about catching that with with Alberto because that's first of all I want to make sure that I'm not jumping into anything that that uh, <laughs> that that the non human hours that's that's his thing right he fishes all night he goes all the time so I want to make sure that I know what I'm getting myself into when I ask him to take me to catch a clown knife fish because he told me that you. Um, you grind it out and that you really, um, put in the time and effort. I'm sorry. I'm trying to fix this TV. Uh, it, it just all of a sudden just stopped working while we're, while we're doing this, but I want to hear the story about, about the clown knife. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, Alberto, any of his fishing trips, if he ever says, okay, we're just going to go for a few hours, <laughs> never believe what he says. Ta- never. Pack, pack some <laughs> snacks and lunch and, and exactly. drinks and everything because you might be out That's there for a week. Totally it. Because the couple of times that I've been out with him, literally, Tom, we have fished for 24 hours straight. No sleep. You know, maybe you stop at McDonald's to grab some chicken nuggets or something, but otherwise you're you're in for it. You're just fishing the whole entire time rain. It doesn't matter. You're just, you're in it. Um, but I love that about him, right? Because it's, it's just, you are immersing yourself in, in fishing completely. I mean, you're, you're out there fishing because you know that like with the clown knife fish, for example, they're primarily nocturnal. So they feed heavily in the evening hours. So most of the time when you're catching them, it's dawn or dusk or low light conditions. And, uh, yeah, no, the day we went out and all the stuff he does, as you know, is land-based easy. If you're trying to do it from a bridge or, you know, from like a small little shoreline when you've got rocks and everything on either side of you. So yeah, the first time we went out, um, I think I, I missed my first one. It jumped and the line got snagged on something and I ended up losing it. And then the second one, we were fishing from an area where there's a bridge and I'm standing on the bridge and he's got the net ready and he goes to net it and the fish dives straight under the net and breaks the line off. (laughs) So it was like, for me, I was like, Oh my gosh, this fish is going to be my nemesis. Now I really have to, I really have to catch one. Um, 
And then, yeah, it, it eventually happened. It just took us a couple of times. Well, after but, if he messed up the net or, or maybe he even thought he messed up the net, now you're really out there because now he has to make up for that. You could be ready to go home. Oh, like, totally. okay, cool. I'm ready to go. No, no. No, no, we're going to, I can see how that goes. You might be out there for 48 hours or 72 hours. You could be out there for weeks. <laughs> yeah, literally. He, and he would, he would not let me go home. No, we were, we were, we were out there fishing. I want to say it ended up being like three o'clock in the morning when I finally got my first clown knife fish. And, and it was awesome. Cause you know, I mean, it was, and it meant, a lot more because of the fact that we had to put in the work. I think sometimes people go out there and I'm sure you've seen this happen on your boat many times, you know, it's like somebody maybe comes down from up North and they don't have a ton of experience fishing, say, for example, for tarpon and, and everything comes together and it happens and they, they land, you know, this amazing fish and in your head, you're thinking, but do they really understand? Oh, no, there's there's thousands of like, people do that don't really? understand what it's about. Like thousands of people. I mean, I was you could have so many people like I would have people that would literally practice all year long to go permit fishing. And when they got down there, for whatever reason, we got plenty of shots, but they never got one to eat. And yeah. then something changes just a little bit. And this person can cast 80 feet into a teacup and is great and has put in the time and they've fished with every guide you've ever heard of. And they've put in their time and they, they're just waiting for it to happen. They fished in Mexico. They fished all over the place. They are dedicated anglers. They come down. We fish for five days. It almost happens lots of times, but it just doesn't. And then the wind changes slightly, something changes. The next day, you have a guy that co goes out there that literally can't throw it twice as far as the, as the rod. You're teaching them how to cast, and they catch two permit on fly. And it's <laughs> like you're just shaking your head like, yeah. wow. Like that guy, the guy that you had yesterday, that would have been a lifetime accomplishment right? That, that he had worked and knew everything that went into it, just like you're saying. Yes, and here's this yes. guy that, you know, it's not to say that he doesn't deserve it. He, he was there on the right day, right? right? Like there's a big part of that where, where no matter what fish you're, you're after, you can be as good as you want to be, but your chances of catching that fish when the conditions improve a little bit go up 95%. I mean, no matter how good of an angler you are, today's the day. This is the day. Yeah. They're going yeah. crazy. They're biting the gel coat off the boat. And and if you're there on that day, then you deserve to catch those fish. The other guy, I guess, is more unlucky. But yeah, man, it happens all the time. And you just kind of shake your head it because does. it's like, how do you know? Like that guy he deserved this fish, but he didn't get it. So his journey continues. This other person, his journey might be just starting or her journey or whosoever journey it is, but it might be just starting. And sometimes they have no idea what it, what they just did. You just caught two permanent on fly. A lot of people don't ever do that in their entire life. Oh, that's right. cool. Can we still get back to the raw bar and get a, get a drink before, before happy hour? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, um, right. yeah I guess like, 
that's cool. You get your $20 tip and you know, the other guy yeah. would have given you a new car, right? Like, Oh my God, two permit on fly it's, here. Go pick out whatever true. car you want. True. Yeah. <laughs> but Except in my case, it would be like a nine pound largemouth bass. Yes. Or, well, that's a yeah, huge largemouth bass. How about yeah. the largemouth bass? What I mean, you caught it. Is that the biggest bass you've ever caught on fly? Uh, on fly. Yeah. Nine and a half pounds was the biggest one. I I've caught one. I went, I was working on an article for Florida game and fish magazine a few years ago. And I went up to fish like Ixapoga with captain Don Hatcher when I was working on the article and I got a 10 pounder up there, but that was on live bait. Yeah. So 10 pounds, and, 10 pounds in my book. <laughs> It was still exciting. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I just love, I get so excited about all species and, and definitely seeing people catch their first of a new species. But to me, there is something really special about our Florida strain largemouth bass. And it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy guiding freshwater too. I mean, I guide from a little 15 foot aluminum John boat with an eight horsepower, you know, mercury tiller engine on it. It's, it's nothing fancy by any means, but in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the boat that I grew up fishing mm, on with my grandfather nice. and, um, and just seeing people experience those firsts and you know what that's like, mm. it's, it's, you are living that excitement through them and you get just as excited seeing them catch that fish and knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. When the high fives, you know, come around and, and gosh, when I get out the net, I'm like shaking with excitement mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's the greatest feeling helping somebody accomplish a goal or land a bucket list fish species that they've been wanting to target for a long time. And, um, it's just, it's, it's something so special to me. And a lot of times people will say, they're like, Oh yeah, but I fish for largemouth bass up in Michigan or up in Wisconsin all the time. And what a lot of people don't realize is that our Florida strain largemouth is a different subspecies. It's special. It behaves differently. It grows faster. And, you know, we've got the Lake Wales Ridge here in Florida, which was a series of chain island, uh, sand islands that were the only part of our state that were above water during the ice age. And that's where our Florida strain largemouth bass developed along with other unique life forms like the Florida scrub jay. And so it's, it's really special how do you, and how, a lot of people don't realize that's that. A, I, I didn't realize that. I've never heard that before. The, so tell me about yeah. that, that area that you're talking about. Where is that? So it's about a hundred mile stretch that runs from, um, right around, well, right around Lake Wales. Mm-hmm. It extends all the way North, South, um, And that was the only part of the state that was above water during the ice age. So as a result, 
unique plants and animals developed on that ridge. And, and some of them are endemic to that specific ridge to, to this day and can be found no other place in the state of Florida. Wow. That is super cool. And so how do we trace back the largemouth bass to that area, the Florida strain largemouth bass? Well, I went to the Florida Bass Conservation Center, which a lot of people aren't familiar with or don't know that exists. And if anyone ever gets a chance, I would highly recommend pay a visit to it. And it's in Webster, Florida. So it's also the site of one of our largest fish hatcheries in the state. And FWC runs it, obviously, but you can go in if you call in advance, you can set up an appointment and one of the biologists will walk you through the hatchery and explain to you a lot about the genetic makeup of our Florida strain largemouth bass, because they have a team of geneticists that are focused on preserving the genetic integrity of this fish. And so they have traced it back to tell where a largemouth bass is from down to the waterway based on its genetic makeup. So if you go to the Florida Bass Conservation Center, they, you will walk through and see that they have these concrete raceways where, you know, of course they raise the fish for stocking. And um, these raceways, they have labeled based on different waterways. So the genetic makeup of each of these fish varies slightly depending on if it's from, say, Lake Okeechobee or if it's from, um, you know, the Kissimmee chain of lakes Mm -hmm. or wherever they're from. Those fish, you know, they can tell specifically down to the waterway. Wow. And they try to keep that genetic makeup consistent to the region where they're actually going to stock, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's super cool. I didn't know that. There's a lot more that goes into it than a lot of people realize. I'm I'm certain. I'm certain. That's super cool. The largemouth bass is, is obviously, you know, that's the number one fish because it's available. Mostly it's available to, to almost everyone in some way, shape or form. I mean, almost every state has the largemouth bass. And so they're the, they're the number one fish, right? So that, that, that's yeah, I mean, the, the best. America's one. most popular freshwater sport fish right. for sure. Yeah. Almost everybody's got a, got a largemouth bass somewhere in their, in their history that they've caught somewhere. You know, it's, a, it's just a super available fish. And then then on top of being available, it also has all of the other elements that we like as sport fishermen, like it, eats all kinds of weird looking stuff. And so that makes the lure companies super happy and they can make lures that look like anything and they catch fishermen more than they catch fish probably. But how cool is it to catch a fish on a giant centipede looking thing? That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) Like I go through all those soft plastics and I find all the weirdest looking stuff and I, I try to catch the bass on that. And then I also try to catch the redfish on that. I'm like, yeah, what does a redfish see a centipede or like something with all these legs or like this big giant frog and they love them. They love them too. They work great. Yeah. I mean, and to me, that's the exciting part of it, right? It's, it's kind of trying to figure out what, it, what their preferences are during different times of year under different conditions and different waterways. And, um, you know, I mean, down here where I fish in Southwest Florida, in most cases, I mean, we see, a fair amount of fish in the five to six pound range, but 
largemouth bass in warmer parts of the state can suffer from what they refer to as metabolic burnout, basically, where if the water is above 80 degrees for a certain length of time, those fish will, you know, they don't have as long of a lifespan and they tend to die earlier before they get to the size that they would say, for example, in the center part of the state. Hmm. Um, so in most cases, if you're looking to catch a trophy fish, you're going to go to the area around the Lake Wales Ridge, because that's generally where all of the monster bass come from. And it's fascinating to me because I've kind of used the Florida, the Florida trophy catch program as a research tool. You know, the program has been around, I want to say for gosh, 12 or 13 years now. And it's a citizen science program through FWC where every time if you catch, you know, a largemouth bass, that's eight pounds or larger, you submit a photo of the fish on a scale, upload it to the website, along with all the information on where you caught it, what you caught it on. And it goes into a database. And Mm. obviously, you know, they send you a certificate and I think you get like a Bass Pro gift card when you enter into the program once your fish is approved, but it's collecting all of this data, right? On which waterways are producing these trophy bass. And so the biologists are able to determine and gather data on, you know, what's going on in those waterways. What does the forage base look like? What does the vegetation look like? You know, what's the habitat look like? And why are these waterways producing these, these trophy fish? And what do we need to do to protect these fisheries? Right. Um, I think conservation is such an important, you know, it's such an important topic because I mean, I'm sure you've seen just the, the, crazy influx of people that have been moving down to the state, especially within the past year. Mm-hmm. I think during this pandemic, it's freed up a lot of people now are working remotely. They can work from anywhere. Um, and I think the more a lot of these areas that previously haven't been as heavily populated start to see a lot more fishing pressure and a lot more people moving in, you know, it's going to start to impact a lot of these fisheries and a lot of the habitat that we need to, um, we need to be mindful of, frankly. Yeah. And so, um, how do you do that in the, in the case of the largemouth bass? I mean, it's primarily a catch and release fish already. Do you have ideas on what needs to happen to protect those fish, uh, even more so? I think, you know, I think a lot of it is, is just really making sure that we're taking care of our waterways and that we're being mindful of, contaminants that are being released into our waterways. I think that, you know, I know everybody's got their opinions on spraying and, and non-native vegetation and, you know, and, and just things that, you know, runoff in a lot of our areas, you know, for example, just here fishing a lot of local lakes and canal systems, there's a lot of pesticides and fertilizers that are, you know, running off from all the golf course communities that we have. And, you know, I understand that a lot of people move down and they want the green grass like they have up North, but in a lot of respects, you know, that's not native Florida vegetation. So how can we do a better job of 
considering some of those things as we're growing and as we're expanding our communities, as more people are moving down here, how can we be more sensitive to maybe using more native vegetation, not having to fertilize as much, not having to water our lawns as much, um, not having to spray as many pesticides. Is there a way we can use more, you know, natural products? Um, I think those are all good questions we should be asking ourselves. For sure. And, you know, what we talk about, I mean, we talk way more about saltwater fishing on this particular podcast than we do freshwater fishing, but we do talk about freshwater fishing, but a, an underlying uh, theme is, is, you know, the work that Captains for Clean Water does and, and the, the, what happens when this water that you're talking about and all that pesticide and everything else, uh, along with lots of other things, enters into the Gulf of Mexico or the, or the Atlantic ocean, and then explodes into some sort of unnatural, uh, algae bloom and red, you know, red tide. And it can accentuate, uh, it can make a, a, a natural red tide way worse. It can do all kinds of things, terrible things. And, you know, that is super obvious when you have dead fish all over the beach. What is not as obvious is that way upstream the what you put on your lawn and how much fertilizer you're using absolutely has a an impact and we have a we have um a personal responsibility to to you know watch ask all those questions like you're talking about but when someone moves in from New York or whatever and you're, you're like like you're saying they 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 they've been around the snow. They want green grass, and this is part of the reason why they moved to Florida. That right. person needs to be educated, and it needs to be they need to be educated in a way that is friendly and nice, and not finger pointing and screaming, and you know, just educate them in a way that's like, hey, man, you know, if you like all this stuff, one thing that Florida people do is kind of be careful of these things. It's a tricky situation because that's. I don't it know. Is. That's not a, that's sometimes it's not an easy conversation to have. And some people aren't going to have any of it. They're just, they're going to do what they're going to do. And, and that's fine. But it is important to understand that, that every action has a, there, there's a reaction to it. And when, if, if, if half the people stop putting stuff on their lawn that, or, or as much stuff, let's say half the people used half as much fertilizer, that would have an impact. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, there is that personal responsibility. Um, cool. I like that. Tell me about going from jumping to the writing to, um, to guiding. Like what did, what did that look like? How do you, how do you, when do you decide that you want to, um, you want to actually start taking people out and what was the process like to, to get that all set up and get your captain's license? I'm sure you have to have a captain's license even for inshore guiding, right? If you, for freshwater guiding, if you're fishing non-navigable waterways, you do not. But I felt it was really important to get it because first of all, anytime you're out there on the water with anyone, you should already have your first aid and CPR anyway. And, you know, my long-term goals at some point, I might want to take somebody out and fish a lot of the brackish rivers and creeks that we've got in this area for juvenile tarpon or for snook. So you know, I was looking long-term and I, I always feel like as much knowledge as you can absorb and expose yourself to, that's always going to be the best. So I felt like that was an important step for me regardless. And, um, 
Yeah, I think so. I love, I love the writing aspect and and that's initially what got me to make the transition into the fishing industry as a career full time, but sitting behind a computer (laughs) all day, every day started to wear on me. And I realized, gosh, you know, I'm just really, I'm just really missing that time on the water. And I would get out here and there. And, you know, my husband's also a saltwater guide. So, you know, he and I would go out and spend some time on the water together, but, but, you know, ultimately I love also just getting out there and putting all those pieces of the puzzle together and figuring it out and establishing those patterns and seeing other people get excited because the light bulb goes on for them. And, you know, they, like I was saying earlier, experience that first catch of a species that they've been wanting to target forever, or, you know, they get on the water for the first time and they just fall in love with it. And you're a part of that process. I mean, it's just, it is, it's so incredibly rewarding. So, I mean, I, I, um, initially, you know, I got out, I, a friend of mine, my friend, Joe Mahler, my fly casting instructor and a mentor of mine said, you know, he's like, wow, you really love taking people out. I see you taking your friends out all the time. Why don't you consider guiding? Mm -hmm. And so I, um, you know, he, he basically broke down for me. He's like, you, you think it's expensive and you think it's hard to get a boat and to, you know, do everything that's needed as far as that goes, but really let me break it down for you. So, you know, he kind of created this outline for me and was like between your storage costs and your fuel costs and, you know, your, um, your boat trailer and your boat, like this is how much you're looking at. And it was a lot more, it was a lot easier and a lot more approachable than I think I ever thought it was when I started to, when he started to break it down for me. And so, you know, I mean, I, I got my boat and I, like I said, I started taking friends out and just to kind of like get the experience of, guiding people, Mm -hmm. you know, but just kind of doing it for fun. I wanted to make sure I could do it and put people on fish on a regular basis before I started charging people. So I did that. And then, um, yeah, I got my captain's license before I started, you know, really jumping into the guiding thing full speed. And I mean, as you know, there's a lot of those days where it's really tough and you really have to try to pull every trick out of your hat (laughs) to try to get the fish to bite and to, um, make it a successful day for your clients. But, but I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So now, you know, I've got that balance between spending some time behind the computer and spending time on the water with my clients and, and getting to show them all the beauty of, of what we do every day. And, you know, just being out there at sunrise and seeing that sun coming up over the water and watching the fish breaking on the surface and just knowing in your heart that this is, this is what I was meant to do. This is where I was meant to be. Man, that's awesome. That's really awesome. I like it. I don't know that we could, we could end it any better than that. That's, that's fantastic (laughs) that, that, you know, in your heart that that's where you're meant to be. That's super cool. There are very few people. I, I don't know. There are more and more people these days than there than there used to be but but it used to be incredibly rare to um to to run across somebody that um just in their heart they knew that they were doing what they what they wanted to, what they were meant to do and and um 
I don't know. I, 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 a lot of fishing guides feel that way. And, and there's a lot of passion in, in the industry and there's a lot of, a lot of great fishing guides that really do feel that way. And there's other fishing guides that feel like they're trapped in the fishing guide world. And that's not exactly what they want to do, but what else are they going to do? And, uh, the difference between those two individuals, as far as the customer goes is, is, uh, it's like a polar shift. Like one is one of the greatest days you're ever going to have in your life. And the other is kind of miserable, right? So <laughs> I love it that, right, that, right. that you feel, you feel like you're just in this wonderful place of, of, uh, doing exactly what you were meant to do. That's super cool. And, and, and you took this huge risk. Like that's, that to me is like, that's awesome. Like to, to just decide that that's what you're going to do and then just go for it and do it. That's, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, Tom. I, I'm sure that it, with as many years as you've been on the water and all the experiences that you've had from, you know, growing up in Tennessee fishing, going out to Yellowstone and guiding and then guiding in the Keys and all that experience, you probably still feel like you go out there and you're still learning. Every, you're always learning. Of course. Yeah. Maybe even more now than before. Like, and I mean, I look up to you so much as an educator and, you know, I would like to think that I'm an educator on some level, but I think that is one of the most magical things about what we do is that no matter how much any of us think we know about fishing or this sport or this industry, there is always more that we can learn. So. It's, and it's cyclical. And if you haven't, you know, for, for, there might be somebody listening that's like, at a place in their career that they're like, I don't think so, man. I think I've, I think I got it pretty wired. Well, you just need to, to, to expand past your comfort zone, go fish another body of water, go fish with some other people, go fish at different times, go fish for a different species. And then all of a sudden it becomes pretty clear. It's like, Oh yeah, maybe there's, maybe there is more to learn, but it seems cyclical to me. Like, like there are these times where you really feel like, wow, I have really got this nailed. I mean, I, I used to know zero about this area or about these fish. And now I can go in here and man, it just seems like I am knocking them dead every time I come in here. And then something happens and you learn just a little bit more and you're like, oh, I don't really know anything. <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to start this whole yeah. process over again. And like, there's this whole other area that I didn't even know existed. And now I'm going to go over there and wow, it's this whole new learning process over here or a whole new species or a whole new technique or a whole new something. And, and then you learn that process all over again. But as soon as you feel like you, you, you've got it wired, just go a little bit more because that's when, that's when the real, breakthrough happens because you have, you know, good job. Congratulations. You have learned a tremendous amount to think even for a millisecond that you got this whole thing figured out. Like you do have a good amount of knowledge under your belt, but when you learn just a little bit more, it'll become obvious that there is so much more to learn. You know, I mean, do you get that? Yeah. Do you have that cycle? Completely. And just when I think I have a pattern figured out, you know, something will happen. For example, you know, one of the waterways that I fish, 
now because there's so many more people buying property down here. A lot of the natural shoreline has disappeared and it, it has, it's caused me to have to change up my fishing strategies and my tactics and my presentation. And I think, you know, that's a big piece of it too. And I'm sure even down in the keys, you guys see that it's like the fish get smarter. There's more pressure. So what do you need to do? You need to downsize your line. You need to try more finesse presentations. Like what do you have to do in order to get those bites under different conditions under more challenging conditions? And, um, so I think that's always going to be a part of it, but, but there's always going to be, you know, and I think in a lot of cases, you know, I think it was last year, Noah said that they recorded like the warmest, sea surface temperature that they had recorded ever in the history of them recording Mm. sea surface temperature. So it's like, what does that mean for the migratory behaviors of a lot of these fish species? And, um, how is that going to change things for us? So there's so many different nuances and, and, and things that we always need to be taking in consideration in order to, to put all those pieces together. Um, But the rewarding part is when you get out there and you put in that work and it doesn't happen right away, (laughs) like with the clown knife fish, um, you know, that's when you really, it's that grind, it's pushing through those challenging times that really get you to understand and appreciate, like, that's the true essence of it. I feel like social media has kind of taken us into this place of instant gratification, right? And that's not the reality of fishing in most cases. Sure. Every now and then you're going to have days like you were explaining with the guy getting that permit, you know, because the conditions were just right. But most of us know like that's not the norm. Right. And you can have some great days and you can have some days where you really have to grind and it's just pushing through that grind, whether it's fishing with life balance, anything. Yeah. I like it. Do you have um, any sort of, uh, like a, you know, some people call it a bucket list fish, a dream fish. Do you have a fish that you haven't caught or, or a fishing experience that you haven't had that you, that if you had the chance, you would do it immediately or something that's yeah, on, your, on yeah, your list? The Golden Dorado. The Golden Dorado. That's it. That's, that's, that's your fish. one of them. What's yeah. another one? I would love a uh, giant trevally. Okay. What's another one? Oh gosh. Um, Definitely rooster fish. That's, that's another nice. one. Yeah. 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 I mean, I got to catch my, my first white Marlin with George a couple years ago. So that was, that was definitely crossing off a of bucket list list species, but I've got a few more too. So it's, there's always that next adventure that you're always thinking about that next quest, right? Like the next species that you want to go out there and experience and target. So. Yeah. Have you ever, um, do you, do you, have you ever been interested in, in records, world records or any, any records? Yeah, I did. I actually, I was working, I worked on an article for boat us magazine, um, a few years back and they had just opened up some of the world record divisions for women specifically with regard to line class and, and, um, tippet class. So I, I worked on, just submitting a few records for the sake of writing the article mm-hmm. and walking people through the process. So I did do some of that. Um, and I went to fish for gar out in Texas and caught nice. some that we submitted for some line class records. So that it's exciting to me. And I think that, um, 
you know, when I did it for the article, it was more of a research project because I wanted women to feel like, Hey, if she can do it, I can do it too. And here's the process to go through. Um, but I would like to get out there and do some more of that at some point in the future. It's just finding the time and carving out the time between some of the other things that, that I've been juggling. Cause it, it, you've got to really put your research in and figure out like, where are some of those attainable records that you think you can really get and, um, and then put your time in to, to study your target species and where you need to go and what you need to do to make it happen. Yeah. That's super cool. I, uh, I, I, I've dabbled in the, in the records, but it's always been kind of, um, something that it, it just adds another wrinkle to it. It's like if, if you catch Jack Cravel all the time, you know, and, and you just catch them, you know, it's not a big deal. You catch tons of them. And then you go and look at the record book and you're like, Oh, well, if I caught one on two pound, it would only have to be this big. And, and so instead of being kind of bored because you catch this same fish over and over and over again, maybe there's an opportunity for you to try to catch it on lighter and lighter tackle that, that kind of thing has been, you know, I just use the Jack Gravel as a, as a, as a common fish. Maybe it's a bass, maybe it's something else that you just catch all the time. And then you could just change up the tackle. You could change up the approach. You could change up the, the, the pound test or the line class. And you could learn all of this. Like it's another thing. Like that's this, that's this opening to a different world that you didn't know existed. Now there's all these new knots you have to learn and all this new, or you can learn. There's all this new stuff that you can learn. And then there's this whole process of submitting the record. And that's kind of like, I don't know, maybe a fly fisherman would, would, would be like, yeah, well, I like fly fishing. And then, oh, but you can tie your own flies. Oh, I didn't know that. And now I'm tying flies and, oh, wow, you can create these unbelievable things right like now fly tie maybe people like fly tying even more than they like fishing and and it's just this other little it's just this one more step like rod building or any of it and people get way into it i don't know that's what that's what i like so much about fishing is that it's just like this this never-ending learning process and if you if you get bored with what you're doing you just change it up a little bit like learn how to fly fish or learn how to bass fish with a conventional, uh, reel or, or you yeah. know, whatever. I don't know. There's just always something. There's always something because I don't think no, you can, you know, even if you're, if you're, if your goal is to, you know, like Lee Wolf said, be a complete angler. So, you know, that's kind of my goal as, as a fisherman is I want to be able to, uh, be good and, 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 or at least adequate with any tackle that, that you, that you, give me like a, a bait caster, a spinning rod, a fly rod, a spay rod, uh, whatever. I want to be able to do all of them and may not be able to do them all as well as some other ones, but I want to be proficient with all tackle. I want to be a complete angler. And so like, if I see something like a tin car, rod, like, I'm like, well, I probably need to learn how to do that. Like, so now I'm going to learn how to fly fish with a, you know, a five foot, little section or line on the end. Right. So it could be fun, but it, each one of these things opens up this whole new, uh, opportunity for learning, which, I, which I love. And you seem to be on the same path. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. definitely. Cause you're, you're right. And I think it's, it's great to have those goals because you're right. It can take you down a whole other rabbit hole <laughs> yeah. of learning that you, you know, that you really didn't plan on, you know, a path you didn't plan on taking, but that you can glean a lot of information and knowledge about. So again, I, I just think that's one of the the best things about what we do is that you can never know it all. And there's always 
more that you can do to expand your knowledge and, and learn more and become a more complete angler. The bait caster thing is something I'm still working on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a good, I'm yeah, not a good too. power. <laughs> I'm not a good power angler. Like give me a spinning rod and reel or, you know, a fly rod and reel and I do okay. But, uh, the bait caster thing, I, st- I need to work on that a little well, bit more. I mean, that when you, when you get around like professional bass fishermen and, and, you know, I have some friends that are professional bass fishermen and what they can do with that bait caster is, th- I mean, it is on a level that is equal to, to the skill that I've seen the best fly fishermen have the, or yeah, even true. higher, actually, probably higher, honestly, like professional bass fishermen, what they can do with a bait caster is I would say, a, a greater skill than what the best fly fisherman can do with a fly rod. And the reason I say that is because a professional bass fisherman is going to make more casts in their career than a fly fisherman could ever make. Right. It's just, it's right. just a matter of mechanics. It's just a matter of, like, if you're, if you're a guy that flips, you're going to be able to flip over and over and over and over and over again, much, much faster than you can strip the line in and make another cast. It's just, it's just, physics right so they can get so good and they're also fishing year round and then they're also like most of the professional bass fishermen that i know are also die hard practice guys like they put cups out there in their garage and they're doing and they're just putting stuff in cups like they're just flipping into cups and flipping into cups and that's like that's their deal. They're practicers. They're kind of like, kind of like people that are into archery. Like it's one thing to know how to shoot a bow and arrow, but it's another thing to practice and shoot 50 arrows a day, every single day of the year. And then you're really, really getting good at it. And a lot of the bass fishermen are practicers. They, they may be great at it, but they're going to continue to practice so that they can hit every little tiny little nook and cranny. And that's why I say that, that the skill involved there has been taken to a higher level just because you're going to cast like those guys are casting like 10,000 more times than any fly fisherman could ever cast in their, in their life. Like, oh, it's so true. And if you're, per, if you're fishing professional tournaments, your livelihood depends on it. Right. So sure. yeah. So that's, but those guys are that's the real deal. Stuff. I mean, you watch them and it, and it's just like watching any master at anything, do whatever they're doing, whether that's martial arts or tennis or, or, or fly casting or anything. It looks effortless. It looks like, Oh, that's no big deal. Well, yeah. Put it yeah. in your hand and try right. Birds <laughs> nest immediately. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's cool. I like, I, I do like that, 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 uh, that there is that skill involved and I do have bait casters that I practice, you know, the same thing, the same little drills that I've seen them do. I'm like, I wonder if I could do that. I need to do it by myself where nobody can see for a while. And then you get a little bit better, but there's a lot of skill involved in the bait caster. There is, there is definitely. Yeah. I've been practicing with bait caster. I have here at home too, but I need, I need to do it even more often. It's like, okay, I've been working on fly fishing for the past couple of years. Now I need to get, get on my pond behind my house with the bait caster and really focus on that for a while because yeah. you're right. I think the more versatile you can be the, you know, the better off you are and the more rewarding it is. Cause you get out there and you're always working on something different. That's right. And it keeps it entertaining and fresh. It, all the it time. does. Yeah. Yep. Well, I really appreciate your time today and um, it, it, we're lucky we caught it on a, on a windy 
rough day where you're not out yes. there guiding, but uh, it's been Absolutely. great to, to talk to you and get to know you. Um, how do people, Likewise, how do Tom. people read your stuff? How do they go fishing with you? How do they connect with you? They can connect with me on Instagram. I'm at she fishes and it's the number two. And then my website is she fishes com, And that's the number two, or they can just call me. And my phone number is two, three, nine, two, three, three. 4930. And I'd be happy to get them out on the water. So yeah, we've got a lot of exciting places to explore here in Southwest Florida. And I love introducing people to some of our freshwater fisheries. So definitely love what I do. And I'm grateful to all those people that have been there for me and with me along the way. All right. Well, great. Great. All right. Give her a call and go fishing. All right. Thanks, Debbie. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.